Hello and welcome to another episode of Rethinking Rehab with Dr. Shane Smith, licensed physical therapist practicing out of Naples, Florida, out of Naples Premier Physical Therapy. Today we're going to cover another research article that I found quite interesting. This pertains not only to the dry needling population, but it also compares dry needling treatments as opposed to traditional physical therapy that we would do for something that we all see on a regular basis as clinicians, which is cervicogenic headaches or neck pain, head pain, that kind of stuff. And I'll go into some of the details of the definition they use for cervicogenic headache, as well as including excluding factors for participants and how the study went. So this episode, we're going to talk about a journal article um, that does fall in the dry needling category. So we will be doing a little comparing of dry needling treatment interventions to our normal treatments that we do as therapists. Um, and the title of this is Spinal Manipulation and Perineural Electrical Dry Needling in Patients with Cervicogenic Headaches, a Multi-Center Randomized Clinical Trial. This was published in the Spine Journal in 2021, so it's a newer study. Um, this was performed by the uh, organization that I got my dry needling certification through, so I do have some uh, confidence in the individuals that are doing the research during the 50 plus hours of seminar training I did with these uh, practitioners, they came across as very genuine, uh, very honest, very open to just wanting to know what's the true science show, not trying to manipulate stats and figures to benefit their perceived thoughts. So kind of as we're going to talk a little bit about the generalities of this uh, study, it's primarily looking at someone with cervicogenic headaches. And that is defined as headaches caused by a disorder of the cervical spine and its components bony, disc, and or soft tissue elements, usually but not invariably accompanied by neck pain. So pretty much if your neck is bothering you, it can be caused from either a joint issue, a muscle issue, or a skeletal alignment kind of problem that could give you this cervicogenic headache uh, is what they're referring to as. Um, so one of the dominant features of cervicogenic headaches they define in this article is it usually includes a unilateral head pain without side shift, elicitation of pain with external pressure over the ipsilateral side neck, limiting cervical range of motion. So pretty much what it's pertaining to is you can't have pain on both sides of your neck. It's got to be a one-sided neck issue. Um, and you can press, press, move, manipulate the one side to re-provoke symptoms. Um, so that's kind of how they're looking at what is the population we're dealing with. So in this study, um, they did do multiple centers, multiple clinicians, um, there are a lot of moving components with this study. It took them quite a while to do, a few years to compile. Um, this was a randomized, single-blinded, multi-center, parallel group trial comparing two treatment protocols for cervicogenic headaches. So they're looking at two options of treatment. So we don't necessarily have a placebo group that received nothing as a control group. There really isn't a control. This is almost two different sets of treatment. Which one works? Do both work? And the big question that this study had, 
is one treatment methodology better than the other? So that's kind of where this study dove down um, to go into some of the including excluding factors for participants. So overall, we had 142 participants in this study, which is a pretty good sample size overall. Um, the ineligible was 149 out of 312 potential patients. Um, some of the exclusion criteria, they had exhibited other primary headaches, i.e. a migraine tension type headache. Uh, they suffered from bilateral headaches, so pain on both sides of the neck or head. They exhibited any red flags, such as potential tumor, fractures, metabolic disease, rheumatic arthritis, osteoporosis, blood pressure greater than 140 over 90, uh, prolonged history of steroid use, presented with two or more positive neurological signs consistent with a nerve root issue, uh, presence with diagnosis of cervical spondylosis, or excuse me, stenosis, uh, exhibited bilateral upper extremity symptoms, had central nervous system involvement, history of whiplash injury or prior neck surgery, um, or had treatment within the last three months, as well as any pending legal action regarding their current neck issue. So any of those 11 factors, you were thrown out of the study. Um, to be included, the factors that said, yep, you can be a part of this, is they had to have pain on one side of their head or neck only without shifting. Um, they also had pain triggered by neck movement or sustained positioning that caused pain, uh, reduced range of motion in their neck, and they also had pain elicited by external pressure so that their neck could be palpated and it caused pain either between the base of the skull to the third vertebrae in your neck uh, and it had to be a moderate to severe non-throbbing, non-lancing pain. Those factors, if you had that, you were allowed in. So of the people they thought they could add in the study, they had 142 that did fit the study. So what they did with these two groups of people, which were randomly chosen, one group versus the other, the, the numbers of age, activity, health status, all those are virtually the same for each group. So there isn't one group of this study that's substantially better off than the other. And they gave them one of two options. One group received thrust techniques as well as electro-dry needling. Another group received non-thrust techniques and had exercise interventions to go along with the non-thrust manual care. So both groups in this study received some form of manual hands-on care, as well as one group received electro-dry needling and the other group received exercise. Um, these treatments were done one to two times a week for about a month. Um, total number of visits was in anywhere between six and eight for both sets of groups. Um, the electro-dry needling group received 8 to 12 needles, um, usually in the base of the skull or face, referred pain sometimes you need to treat into the face, as well as some received upper thoracic uh, paraspinal muscle trigger point placement of electrodes as well. And the dry needling was performed for about 20 minutes. And 
The benefit with this study is that they checked how everybody was doing a week into the study, at the end of the treatment, the four weeks in, and then they did a three-month follow-up. And overall, both groups did improve, which is the best, I guess, takeaway, is that if you're a clinician and you're looking at someone with this kind of a neck-head problem, whether you non-thrust manually treat them and perform exercises, or you look at the alternative option, which is more thrust techniques and dry needling, both groups got better throughout the treatment as well as three months after um, the initial treatment as well. So that's kind of the best takeaway I'll give to you is that both groups did well. Um, now, what the study wanted to really get into is which one did better. And for all perceived uh, metrics, so how they measured who succeeded, who did better, who didn't, was based on a few parameters, one of which was a numeric pain scale, a zero to 10 pain scale, which is pretty standard stuff almost anywhere you go in terms of seeing how you're doing, uh, a headache frequency and duration uh, scale. So they would ask kind of for how many hours, how long it would you know last for, was it zero to four, was it you know five to eight hours, was it eight to 12, so on, how much medication was needed during that time, how much improvement did you get, um, a neck disability index, so this is another kind of questionnaire subjective measure that the patient would then describe how severe debilitation they feel from their neck issue, um, as well as medication intake forms, so how much meds are you needing to take due to your symptoms at this current time, and lastly, a global change, a global rating of change, so how much improvement you think you've made. So. These different parameters is what they use to determine, are we getting improvement with either of these groups? Which one's better? And every single metric that was looked into during this study found that the thrust electro dry needling uh, treatment group substantially outperformed that of the non-thrust exercise related group. Um, a couple of the things they didn't talk about as much in detail as I personally would have preferred um, was what forms of exercising were they doing. Um, really, they just kind of talked about spinal mobilization and exercises, so some more cervical flexion-based exercises, some scapular stabilization, postural-based exercises, but didn't go into specifics of which ones, how many repetitions, what position were they in, what was resistance levels, what were baseline strengths for some of the individuals in this study? Was strength a factor for some of these people with this problem? That portion was not discussed, nor was it discussed as potential limiting factors with the study. Um, they really only concluded that a dry needling placebo group would have benefited the study a lot more. Um, I personally think more data understanding of the individuals in the group and strength deficit present would have been another good factor to look into. Um, but like I said, both groups did get better uh, over the duration of this study, uh, but the thrust and dry needling group substantially outperformed that of our traditional PT kind of group that you would think. Um, and the conclusion from all of this was upper cervical and upper thoracic high velocity, low amplitude thrusts um, as well as electrical dry needling were shown to be more effective than non-thrust and exercise in patients with cervicogenic headaches. Um, these effects were maintained for three months post-trial. So 
you know, whether you believe it or not, that's what this study found out of these 142 people, that that's what they did better with. Um, I would agree that with my time treating and dry needling, it gives you an extra edge in terms of treating and, and affecting things that traditionally you aren't able to affect as well. Um, I can tell you that my fingers have been quite sore sometimes trying to work on a trigger point that I can feel in the subcranial spine or in the mid-back somewhere. Um, I've even had times where I'll tell a patient, do you feel this marble right here? Oh yeah, that's, that's right where my pain is. And we'll just work and work and work and mobilize, you know, joints around it and try to do cupping and percussionary treatments and massage-based treatments and, you know, that little knot's still there. Dry needling has been way more effective with those kind of trigger point based issues as well as really revamping, getting things to heal that weren't initially healing. Um, patients that typically have had these kind of chronic problems for a while um, know if a treatment's actually going to do something that other ones haven't in the past. And I have found when you do the electro dry needling and you can actually get a needle internally into a body structure and get an elicited response internally you get a lot better uh, outcomes overall long-term with that. So, um, you know, I would say that one factor with this um, study is that the clinicians that were all across the country in different um, office, clinic offices doing this, all had a certain similarity in training uh, for thrust manipulations as well as dry needling training. They were all certified to do both of those treatment methodologies. And obviously before implementing these kind of treatments in your own clinic, uh, you'd absolutely want to take further uh, training in dry needling as well as in proper thrust manipulations. Um, I have found a lot of success myself, excluding the upper cervical thrust. That's one I'm not as skilled with at this time as I am the upper thoracic, uh, but I have found doing a lot of uh, thrust to the upper thoracics, dry needling the neck, as well as non-thrust techniques on the neck also is a really great combination if you're not as comfortable with thrusting necks, which a lot of clinicians out there aren't unless they've done it from a early age in their careers and do it regularly. Um, so I think taking that information and just incorporating what you can where you can really does help overall get outcome measures better for patients. Um, I think it's a good study. It helps us know that regardless of our decision to do non-thrust thrust or decision to do a dry needling intervention or an exercise intervention, we're going to have positive impacts for this patient population. Continue working it, continue trying new options, new things as needed. Um, I hope this uh, little blurb on this research study is intriguing, interesting, and makes you think a little different with patients. All right, that's all I got for now. I hope everyone has a great week. Uh, until next time, have a good one, everyone.